the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, we're going to be getting back to Acts chapter 2 today. And if this is your first time joining us, we're we're following through the book of Acts. And you can find the older programs uh, if you go on our website, www.nvcoc.net. Click on that radio mic. You'll find this program and our previous programs as we are now looking through the book of Acts. And we're doing this. Because we want to know what did the New Testament church look like? Because this is a a litmus test. Are we doing what God intended us to do? Or are we changing the way church looks to satisfy our needs? Or as some say, well, we're trying to satisfy the needs of the culture that's out there. But is that what God intended us to do? Is there more than one way? to get to God. Not according to Jesus. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. Him. And so looking at the book of Acts, and especially here at Acts chapter 2, which has got to be one of the most important chapters for human in human history, outside of the Jesus on the cross, because this is what we need. We need the church. We need it to know. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, but then what? Most people, they don't know anything about that. They didn't know. They didn't realize they had killed Jesus, the anointed one. But this is the day where we learn about that. But we learn what he did. That we learn that there is a new way. And it is through Jesus. But there's a, there, there, there's a path to it. There is a pattern to this and we, that we must follow. You see, nobody, no one can deny that the church Jesus promised to establish back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, no one can deny that it began in Jerusalem on this Jewish day of Pentecost as recorded here in Acts 2. Now, every denomination accepts this as a fact. Few attempt to seek the truth, though, about the church that are learned there on the first day of Christianity. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we do accept that uh, uh, Jesus promised to establish his church. That's found there in the book of Acts, chapter 2. But what else are we learning here? We're learning a lot. We learn about how we can become part of, disciples of this church. Any, any truth seeker, may find what he needs to simply become a Christian only in his own time by returning to the lessons learned here at Jerusalem. You see, what happened that day in Jerusalem was of divine origin. 
as is evidenced by the presence and the power of God in the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles there in verses 1 through 12. Now, we know that there was no Bible at that time to which the apostles could say, hey, turn to this passage or that passage to confirm that what they were teaching was truth. Now, they could go to certain aspects of the old law, but nothing in the new. It hadn't been written yet. And since there was no New Testament Bible to which they could refer to to confirm these things, God provided supernatural evidence that he, God, certainly approved of what these men, the apostles, and that what they taught was indeed his divine will. Now, some at that time in those days tried to reason, though, through what they were seeing and hearing by offering up a rational interpretation. And they were suggesting that the conduct of these twelve could be explained by drunkenness. Verse 13. We sometimes laugh about that. I'm sure everyone does. But people still do this today. They try to rationalize in, uh, uh, in some way the things they read in the Bible that they don't think uh, people aren't going to like that or they, they're not going to agree with that. Yeah, baptism, that's not necessary anymore. People are uncomfortable doing that. So let's rationalize this to be culture or, oh, it's not how you use the Greek word ace and all these other things. It doesn't apply to us anymore. Is that truth? Well, let's find out by keeping things within their context, defining words the way Peter defined them in his lessons, or the way Paul does in his writings, and Luke does here in the book of Acts. Let's look. Let's find that truth. Now, Peter began his sermon. He corrected this explanation of them being drunk by showing that the twelve were not drunk. And he helped the audience see that they were witnessing history. Wouldn't you have been like to have been there and been part of that history? I think we all would. What was happening, according to Peter, was nothing less than the fulfillment of a prophecy familiar to all Jews. They would know this. You see, Joel had predicted in Joel chapter 2 that God would send his spirit upon humanity with the result that there would be teaching and salvation offered to who? All men, everyone, there at the very end of verse 21. This is 16 to 21 I'm referencing. But verse 21 is where uh, Peter ends out his quote from Joel 2. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That promised salvation continues to be offered in every generation since Pentecost through the same message of the apostles. No doubt about it. So Peter began his sermon by removing some of these mistaken ideas that some Jews had of Jesus. See, they had witnessed the miracles Jesus performed, but many had not concluded that this proved that Jesus was from God. That's verse 22 of Acts 2. They all remembered the events of his crucifixion as the city was filled with Passover celebrants. And even if someone did not witness the cruel scene, they most certainly were told of it. But now, Peter makes some sense of what happened by declaring that it was all a part of God's predetermined plan and, here's the key word, 
foreknowledge. There at verse 23, foreknowledge. He knew, God knew this would happen. This wasn't, oh, I didn't see that coming. We better establish the church as of catch-all until Jesus can come again. No, this is exactly what God knew what happened. He's never intended to establish a kingdom on earth, premillennialism. He intended the kingdom to be of heavenly origin, not of this world. And so Peter goes on, and he explains that this does not relieve the chosen people, the Jews, from any guilt of Jesus' death. So he reminds them that this is also the end of verse 23. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him, that's Jesus, to death. It had been, what, some 50 days since the body of Jesus was laid in that tomb that Joseph gave him. And those present at Passover have now returned to Jerusalem at Pentecost. They have heard the commotion about the missing body of Jesus. Peter explains at verse 24 that God had raised him up again. And then Peter, he appeals to the writings of David over in Psalm 16. And he does that because he wants to show that the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of the Messiah, that was foretold in verses 25 and 28 through 28. It was foretold. Again, that proves that God knew this would happen, folks. He knew it. This wasn't something he did not see coming. Every Jew present knew of the prediction. But Peter is now helping them to, you know, you could say, connect the dots so they could see the full picture. You know, connect the dots, that, that game the kids will play. Well, they'll, they'll draw from one dot to the next. They'll have numbers to each dot. And if you draw, do it just right, you see the full picture. So they have a lot of information, the Jews there on the day of Pentecost, they have a lot of information, but they haven't been able to properly you know, assimilate this information and connect those dots. So Peter is helping them to connect the dots so they can see the reality, so they can see the truth. So he invites them, why don't you go check it out? Go investigate the tomb of David. Go investigate the tomb of Jesus there in verse 29. Because David still lies in his tomb. He could not have been speaking of himself in the psalm. He knew that God promised to exalt one of his own descendants to the throne over God's people, verse 30. He So he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, verse 31. This is also confirmed by the fact that Jesus' tomb is empty. It's empty. They know it. So, Peter then declares that these 12 men who have evidenced the power of God were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, verse 32. If the supernatural power of God was with these men, then how could anyone deny that what they spoke was the truth? The Jews present that day certainly could see that none of what Peter was saying could be a lie. They had seen and heard the power of God as it was evidenced in and around these men. What Peter was saying made logical sense. They are now seeing with their own eyes the fulfillment of prophecy. And so Peter declares that not only did Jesus come back to life, but he was also exalted to the right hand of God, 
verse 33. This Jesus is the one who is fulfilling the prophecy of Joel concerning the sending of the Holy Spirit, the sending of the Comforter, the sending of the Spirit of Truth, which is why the audience is now seeing and hearing the supernatural things. And again, Peter shows how David had predicted that the Messiah would return to God to rule over his kingdom from heaven. That's the way it was always meant to be. But look there at verse, uh, verse 36. Peter writes, or, or Peter writes, Peter says, Luke writes, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom, what? You crucified. You crucified. Wow. Peter's declaring that the age of the Messiah has begun. Every Jew had been looking forward to this day when God would send his anointed one to them. And now, now they have undeniable proof that the day of Christ had indeed arrived. Who would not want to be there to hear this from Peter? To be part of this most significant moment in history. I mean, I've always thought, I wish I could have been there. I don't, but would I really want to see Jesus die upon that cross? That would be horrifying. I would hate that. I would love to be here, though. The beginning of the church. The, the beginning of the promise that God made. All the way back in the days of, of Eden with Adam and Eve. Amazing. This is it. This is history. This is the most important moment. They have been waiting for this. But Peter's last words, I had his tongue. This Jesus whom you, the audience he's talking to, you crucified, that had, that, that not had, that most certainly did send a wave of guilt all throughout the audience. They had been misled by their religious leaders to actually participate in the death of God's servant. Many had unwittingly rejected the very one whom God had promised to send to save his people. And so by crucifying the promised Messiah, they were guilty of the most egregious sin. And, and no matter whether they were there at the, the cross, you know, hurling insults and spitting on him, or if they were there at the cross and not saying anything, just watching, or if they were in Jerusalem knowing what was happening, that they did nothing, but they had connected the dots. If they had reasoned through it logically, they would have realized who Jesus was. And they did nothing. Do you know who else was guilty? All the apostles. Where were they? They ran away. Knowing, back to our audience, knowing of their circumstance before God, they spoke out loud, asking these men, Peter and the rest of the apostles, if God, uh, of God, if there is anything that could be done. Anything. You see, they now believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God. They are now convicted of their own sins before God. They now understand that they are separated from him because of their sin. If they remain in this condition, they know that they are forever lost 
So in this audience, they that, that day, were people who are now desperate to make amends with God. But what's to be done? See there in verse 37 when it says, or Luke writes, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That's the guilt. Pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? What can we do? What is Peter's response to their plea? These simple words. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. These who now believe in Jesus as the Christ are anxious to repent. They want to move in a new direction with their lives. Baptism, this is not a new idea to them. You know, since such washings had been practiced among the Jews for some time, Yet for the first time, though, they are hearing a God-ordained preacher say that an immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ would grant them forgiveness of what they've done wrong. Peter wants them to know that this is the promise of salvation that God predicted through Joel and will continue throughout future generations. But, at, but, but this, this was all new to the crowd. You know, they, they, Peter continues to urge them to, to understand and to accept what was being said. So he invites them to be saved from this perverse generation there in verse 40. And some 3,000 who received his word were baptized, verse 41. But let's back up a little bit. So repent, that's that turn, turn around, the, the 180, and stop what you're doing, what you've done. And, and each of you, not some, or those who want to be, or if, you've really, if you, you don't have to, if you don't want to, no. Each of you, here's what you need to do. What shall you do to make up for this sin, this egregious sin of putting the, the anointed one, the Messiah, to the cross? Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. It's exactly what it sounds like. Not only do they have to believe who Jesus is, and then I believe they're confessing who he is, but they have to repent and be baptized. It's all part of it. If you decide, you know what, I don't want to believe in Jesus, but I'll repent and be baptized, that's not going to work. If you believe, but you decide, you know what, I don't need to repent, but I'll be baptized, that's not going to work. If you think, you know what, I'll believe and I'll repent, but I'm not going to be baptized, that's not going to work. You have to obey what he says. All the things that God put forth through his son, through his apostles. Now what about this last part of verse 38? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, all my life, I was told that that is, um, the Holy Spirit is, is then going to, some would say, indwell you when you are baptized into Christ. Or they'll say it's the, it's the word indwelling you. Uh, they were, I think that was close, but not not quite. I mean, I shouldn't say that was close. Uh, of, uh, their, some of their understanding of what Holy Spirit sometimes means, but that's not what it means here, because Peter has not changed the definition of Holy Spirit. They want, but a lot of people today want to change it because they know, we know, the miraculous cannot happen today. That's another discussion, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I've done lessons on it, but... They, they think, well, if we say that the Holy Spirit here is miraculous, then we're saying people can have that today. But that's not true. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's talking to that day and age audience. He's still talking about the miraculous. Everything that you're seeing and hearing here now, that prediction from Joel in chapter 2, that's for you also. And the reason why people get hung up on that not being miraculous is because of verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And they think that promise is the Holy Spirit, but it's not. The promise is that all have now the opportunity to be saved. Not just for you, he's telling them. This this promise of salvation isn't just for you, it's for everyone. And not just everyone of this day day right now, but even for your children. And for all who are far off, that is the Gentiles. And as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And that too is also hearkening on, or back to Joel chapter 2. Because they're at the end of that passage. It's not uh, quoted by Peter in the, uh, that section, verse 21. But if you go back and look at Joel 2, he does make that mention of that too. God's calling people to himself. That's what it is. That promise is salvation. That's what we want. I'm, if I was there, I'd be so glad to hear my children will receive it. My children's children will, will receive it. My children's children's children will receive it. And all those who are far off, and as many as God will call to himself, who's he calling? Everyone. <coughs> Excuse me. Everyone. These 3,000 were saved. They had the remission of sins. They were added to Christ and his church. Since there were no denominations that day, no one could join a different group. You may be tired of me saying this, but that's the truth. When he baptized them, they didn't come up out of the watery grave, and Peter asked, now, which church would you like to be part of? Would you like to be a Methodist, a Baptist, a Catholic, a Church of Christer? I would say, I just want to be a Christian. And then Peter would respond, well, that's good because that's all you are. That's all there is. Why would we divide? Unless, unless everyone sees things differently. And why do we see it differently? Because we are not following the word anymore. But man-made religions. Just like the people of that day and age where they thought they were doing the right thing. They were following their religious elites, their religious leaders, but they misguided them into crucifying the very man they were waiting for, the Messiah, the anointed one. And they were just following the leaders, but they didn't dive deep enough in God's word to really stop and think, to know. If you and I had been there that day we could have found remission of sins in the same manner as these 3,000. It is not difficult to note the sequence of what happened with them. They first believed the truth that Jesus was indeed the Christ and gave evidence of that faith in their plea to the apostles. Then in compliance with the apostles' demand, they repented of their sins. And finally, they were immersed for the remission of their sins. We Had we been there that day, then belief, repentance, and baptism would have been required of us. If the promise is to all generations, then those who comply with these requirements today also may claim the salvation that God promised. If any today teach that salvation comes from something less than believing, repenting, and being baptized, then he is teaching something the apostles did not teach that day. If any today are teaching something more than being required than faith, repentance, and baptism to bring one into Christ, then they've gone beyond the authority of apostolic teaching. The teaching of Peter and the apostles has not changed. 
from the first day of the church. Those who change the teaching can only be promoting their own agenda and cannot be preaching the truth and are no different than the religious elites, the leaders who misguided the people in that day and age as well. These 3,000 were Christians only. They were not Catholics, Baptists, Presbyterians, Church of Christ, or anything. Simply, they wore the name of Christ, and they honored the Christ. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. That's all I want. If I could have my way, the sign out in front of our building would simply say, Christians meet here. I don't want to be a community church. I don't want to be just a Church of Christer. I want to be a church that belongs to Christ, a church of Christ, in the very definition of that. That's my description. That's what I want to be. Don't you? I think you do. I think that's why you're you're listening to me this day. You know, denominationalism has changed everything that occurred on the first day of the church. The many modern churches differ from the Jerusalem event on the process of salvation, the meaning of unity, the means by which we conduct our assemblies to accept The modern methods of denominationalism is to throw away the teaching of the apostles and embrace the teaching of men. For those of us who want to be Christians only, we know that we have only to look back to Jerusalem and the events of that day of Pentecost to find the means to accomplish our dream to be in a right relationship with the Lord. And here at the North Valley Congregation, that's all we want. I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm not trying to do that. I know it may come across that way, but all I want to do is give people the truth. That's all I want to do. I want to turn on the light. I want you to see the reality of what is taught in scriptures. And not only for us all to be students of the Bible. And I have no problem with you you coming to me and saying, well, what about this or what about that? I will look and I will consider it. And I hope you will let me know. Feel free to come visit with us. You can find our address at www.nvcoc.net and find out more information there. Well, my time is up. i got to end it. But I want to thank everyone for being here. I thought my time was up. I still had like uh, 30 more seconds. But I encourage you to listen to this program. Go back, hear what i got to say. But be, come here to North Valley. He, he, talk to me. I am reasonable. I will listen to what you say. I'm not going to try and convert anybody. All I want to do is arm you with the truth. I know the decision is up to you. I want to get you to the point where you don't need me to know what the Bible says. That you can do it on your own. I don't want you to always have to seek me out. I want you to seek out the Word and know where to find it and have it. And have a strong mind to be fully armored with the full armor of God. Let's think about that this week. Let's pray about that. And let us all forever seek the truth. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Be sure to check out the podcast for this program on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. To find it, just go to the website and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.